questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. There's a famous line in the Godfather movie that says, Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. I was ready to put the coronavirus event behind us. I wanted to start focusing on our more traditional subjects. I even recorded an interview last week that was supposed to air today. But no, a new event took precedence. Not too long ago, we were told we could not protest. We could not go out. We could not make a living. We had to exercise social distancing. All of that was forgotten a few days ago. And what was not allowed is now encouraged by some mysterious forces who seem to be puppeteering those creating chaos. Ivantifa means anti-fascism. Why didn't a single member join the protests against the fascist COVID-19 lockdowns? Because they weren't being paid by Soros. We'll discuss some of the anomalies of this current event, but for a moment, let's assume it did happen the way the media portrays. There are three distinct groups who have taken to the streets in the United States. I think it's important to understand the differences between them. The first are those who are justified in their outreach over the murder of George Floyd and are peacefully protesting. They are the true activists. Then there are the destructive opportunists who are taking advantage of the situation to loot and pillage. Finally, and most dangerously to America, are the anarcho-communists who are exploiting and manipulating the demonstrations to cause as much damage to the country as possible. They have been mobilized as insurrectionists. And coincidentally, a lot of these are happening in certain cities and states. The same cities and states that were heavily locked down during the COVID-19 event. Does anyone notice a pattern? And now, the same states and cities have the most violence and criminal activity taking place during these protests and riots? Is this a coincidence? What they're doing is they're trying to influence everybody to riot and to act uncivilized so they can have an excuse to usher martial law. It's a game of chess. The police are the pawns. The FBI are the knights. The military are the castles. The mainstream media are the bishops. And the deep state, Illuminati, Bill Gates, and their royal families, all these international global syndicates, are the kings and the queens, also known as the Freemasons. Police brutality and racism have been weaponized in the form of psychological warfare to influence the American public to react exactly the way the deep state wants them to react so they can enact martial law. That's why Obama signed the NDAA, so that we can be recognized as terrorists by the military, so when they bring the military, they can detain people indefinitely, round us up into FEMA camps, forcefully vaccinating us in order to depopulate the planet so they can take over the world. Right now, we are literally in the endgame of our lives. Everything we thought was conspiracy theory, we now know it's literally true. We have a chance to stop them, but we can only do this if everyone wakes up and redirect our disposition on this matter. Order out of chaos, a militia-controlled government. Emotions have superseded people's intelligence. People's intelligence should supersede people's emotions during these difficult times. We need to redirect our anger wisely to the actual parties who are guilty. 
demanding the arrest of the deep state and the treasonous figures who have sold this country. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. And to tell us more, he's back after 11 years. Ralph Epperson, a historian, author, and lecturer who has been researching the conspiratorial view of history, the view that the major events of the past have been planned years in advance by a central conspiracy for over 50 years. He has written several best-selling books, among them The Unseen Hand and The New World Order. His website is ralph-epperson.com. Ralph Epperson joins me from Tucson, Arizona. Hello, Ralph, and welcome back to Veritas. Well, it's been some time, Mel. Yes, thank you very much. I remember we did the program several years ago, and uh, I'm, that's, I'm honored to be called back, and let's see if we can get some things said that will hopefully uh, educate and illuminate your, your audience. Thank you. Likewise, I'm honored as well. You have been doing this for many decades, and I, whenever I see websites that talk about the New World Order, no matter what language, Ralph, it's always your book, which has been translated in many, many other languages. So it's become a seminal piece of, of, of research that you have here. And, you know, people perhaps know we're, we're not paying attention perhaps before, but they are paying attention now. Why do you think so many people are waking up to the fact that what used to be perceived a conspiracy is now be considered, is considered a fact? Well, I, I'm not sure that, that the average American or even the average citizen in any nation believes that, but you're right. I was stunned when I got the first order from a, a foreign nation, a publisher in a foreign nation, wanting to publish either or my first two books, The um, uh, Unseen Hand or The New World Order, and I was stunned. Uh, and so I said, sure, by all means, do it. And people said, well, wait a minute, you're going to get paid. And I said, no. I said, I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to do that. And if they did it without my knowledge or permission, I'm going to go to uh, Tanzania and argue the case in front of a judge that, that they stole my book. I don't think so. So I said, please do it. Get it out. And I'm now getting a, a Spain published it in, uh, I presume, Spanish. And now I'm getting orders, uh, not orders, because they're, they're buying the book in their nation, uh, Latin America, South America. Uh, apparently they're selling the book under the title of the Spanish uh, edition of it. And so they're letting, now they're writing to me, making me friends on their uh, internet. And that's stunning. I'm pleased. And I will make one more comment. Uh, Hong Kong published, well, it was actually China, Beijing, I guess is their capital, a publisher, they're published 
uh, the unseen hand probably a couple of years ago. And Hong Kong suddenly popped up screaming for freedom. Now, whether or not that's because of my book, I can't say. But I certainly can say that if there's a number of people reading it, they're learning about freedom, something maybe they don't even never heard of before. So that was quite a prospect. And suddenly now the virus comes along and Hong Kong's no longer talking, I guess. Not only is Hong Kong no longer talking, but there are new laws being enacted in Hong Kong where they're no longer going to be a two two government system. They're in, in reality, they're really embedded with China, uh, which is something when I used to, I spent time in Asia in the mid 90s and the year before, 96, I was asking people, how do you feel about, you know, it's been 150 years, the British had you on a lease. Now you're going back to China. How do you feel about that? And he had mixed messages all the time, but people really didn't trust the fact that there were going to be an independent system, you know, same country, but different system. That can't really last when the government systems are polar opposites, capitalism and communism, even, even though what saved China was capitalism. Well, China, uh, oh boy, that opens up a door if you want to go there, though. Way back in the NCNA, back in 1985, I talked about the fact as to why did China go communist? And it went because of our government. Our government betrayed Chiang Kai-shek because he was fighting the communists in other parts of the nation. And our government decided to arm and provide ammunition and the ingredients they need to fight the war. And that started for a while, and then suddenly we cut it off. And China went communist. Chiang Kai-shek, and I don't know how many of his troops or whatever it was, uh, escaped to Taiwan. And they're still there now, but they're but the uh, Red China is talking more and more about conquering little Taiwan and making it part of the Hong Kong-China uh, situation, I guess. So it's really scary. Uh, because is it really possible that freedom all over the globe is now over? I don't know. That's scary. What you said about, I'm glad you're opening more doors, Taiwan. That's another country. If Hong Kong goes, I think Taiwan will go. I think the only reason why... China hasn't made the move, and I'm going to go out there and say it, is probably because of Trump. If Hillary had won, we would see Hong Kong completely out. We would see Taiwan go back. We would see the, the, uh, the, the China, the South China Sea, full of islands, taking over routes. And as you know, the, what do you call it, the, uh, the Silk Road that they're trying to open all over the world. They want to take over. And even Xi Jinping just said that he wants to be the leader of the New World Order. We got to understand, I made a DVD probably eight or ten years ago called Vietnam, America's Betrayal and Treason. I, I discovered that our, if you want to get this, because China was great. Oh, God, this opens up. I don't know if you want to talk about this, Mel. But Vietnam was a major victory for the conspiracy, and we played into it. That war was planned by our government in at least 1945, but it didn't start until 1964. And you might remember it started with the Gulf of Tonkin event, of course. which McNamara finally admitted never happened. And in my DVD, I documented that fact. It never happened. So... Now, what was the purpose of the war? 
to, to get a lot of young Americans fighting over there, but with no victory in a situation, in, in an area that's very heavily involved with drugs, heroin and, and uh, cocaine, heroin and opium. Opium, opium, yeah. Now, I did some research and found out that China was producing 15 million acres of poppies, and they were only having something like 20 million acres of rice being produced back in the early uh, middle 1940s and early 50s, which means opium, heroin, was going to become a nation, a worldwide drug, and they were going to supply it. And they sent they sent this the poppies down to Kun Saw, a drug warlord down in. Uh, it was, he had a group of people called the Shan, I think it was. Uh, he had an army of forty thousand soldiers, but they didn't have borders. They just lived in the jungle, so they weren't citizens of any country, primarily in Burma. And then they converted it from the from the poppies to heroin. And listen to this. Then Air America airplanes landed and uh, filled their uh, C-46s and 7s with heroin and flew it back to America. And then the mafia unloaded it and transported it because America had to become a drug culture. I remember that. What happened in Vietnam? That war lasted for eight years. I I don't know if you know this or not. But three American patriots, under the guy, the, the starting of one man, one man forced the government, Nixon, to end the war way before it was planned to end. He forced them with the assistance of a reti- retired three-star general and a retired lieutenant or a full colonel. The three men forced Nixon to end the war by dropping mines into the port of Haiphong. In 1972. Now, I want and you to expound. A- I want you to expound on this because this is interesting. Because we always think of the Vietnam War being a, a war of attrition. I believe the number was close to 57,000, and that's when the war was supposed to end. But I've spoken to so many people. Even my very first interview on this radio program that has nothing to do with what we're discussing. This individual, Milton Torres, told me that. He was an Air Force pilot, and he got tired of flying so many sorties over Vietnam where he knew where the targets were, but he was not ordered to shoot him, to, to, to deploy the, the missiles or bomb them. He kept saying, no, go there, but do not bomb them. Almost as if they were just trying to ex- extend this war forever. Not only that, but in the 80s, one individual that I interviewed, I forgot his name, one of our guests here, he was a congressman, and he was approached by somebody with satellite pictures showing some of our men in Laos, in Vietnam, showing rice fields with eviction and evasion coats, saying that they were still there, alive. And they went to McCain, who said, no, we don't want to talk about it. And then they went to the White House, and uh, it was Ross Perot who went and wanted to speak with President Reagan. And guess who met, met him there? Uh, Vice President Bush, who told them, don't you ever come back here again. And that's why he ran against Bush. You know that story, don't you? Yes, I do indeed. In fact, I know Bo Greitz. Did you ever talk to Bo Greitz? No. Bo Greitz was the most heavily decorated Vietnam uh, colonel 
in Vietnam. In Vietnam, he was a, a Green Beret, and he uh, he apparently uh, was primarily in the jungles, uh, went winning the war. But but he uh, he found out about the uh, the heroin uh, by he he was told asked to go to three POWs in uh, Burma being held by Coon Saw, the drug warlord. And Bogreitz and a, a crew, I think, of three or four people is what his called, he called his crew, went there to see Coonsaw, and Coonsaw met him openly and frankly, and they started talking. And they found out that, that, that Coonsaw was converting the poppies to heroin, and then uh, they would uh, uh, fly, uh, fly it, I'm sorry, to, yeah, to an air, air base. It was not an Air Force base. It's the regular, uh, at least a, a landing strip. And C-46s and 7s were coming in from the CIA, and they would load up the heroin, and then those airplanes were flown back to the United States and, as I said, unloaded. And uh, then uh, the, the mafia picked it up and moved it. And I'll give you a quick story. I can only tell you it's a story, but it happened to me. At least I can tell you what the man said. Because one day when Bo was speaking to our breakfast club here in Tucson, a young enlisted man, I would guess in his late 20s, came in wearing his fatigues. And at the end, of, I, stu- I always stand at the back of the audience because I ask my questions <laughs> of the speaker. I want him to hear me and I want them to hear the, uh, his answer. So he shouted out to him. He said, Colonel Bo, Bo, I want you to know that I, I can tell you that I know what you're saying is true. He said, how? He said, I worked for the CIA at the Utapau airfield loading the C-46s and 7s with heroin as they came in one after the other. So he said, I worked for the CIA for four years, and the last four years of my life I worked for the, uh, I was in the Air Force, and he was wearing Air Force fatigues. He he told me the story was true. So Bo Greitz came back with that story. He said, uh, Kunsaw said there's no POWs, and you, he told uh, Bo Greitz, you're free to go anywhere you want to in this my jungle, and uh, look, and if you find them, tell me, and I'll help you get them out of there, and we'll get you get you back, take them back to America. So Bo looked and couldn't find any, so he came back to the United States and then told uh, America, the Senate and the House, that Bo that Kunsaw wanted to get out of the drug business and stop making heroin, converting the poppies from China. But he needed an industry for his nation. And so he said, all you got to do is come there and help us develop something. We have, we're heavy with teak wood and various stones and minerals in our jungle. And you're, you'll be free. Teach us how to cultivate them or grow them or whatever we have to do. And we'll be independent. We'll stop. And... Bogreitz, according to Bogreitz, at least three times he told us, our government said we're not interested in that. Is that what created the country of, well, what is now Myanmar? Burma? I don't know. I don't know when Burma became a nation. But but as I remember, he lived in a, a triangle of you know various nations with borders, but he lived in, in various with with his tribe, and they apparently were not citizens. They they had their own little nation, I guess, and an army of forty thousand people to keep them secure. But and what Bo said he uh, uh, monitored their their 
their soldiers, he said, they were really good. They were good guerrilla fighters and uh, well-trained. But what so, I'm but told... What I'm told, uh, Ralph, is that regarding the POWs, is that uh, they learned from what happened during the Bay of Pigs when Fidel Castro said, "Fine, I'll give you your men back, but I'm going to going to put a price on each head." And yes. then the, the Vietnam said, "Hmm, we can learn from the same thing, so we're going to do the same thing with all these POWs." Kissinger did not want to pay, and that's why our sons and brothers. Did not make it back, a lot yes. of them. I, I met a woman here uh, during this time who, I think it was her brother. Uh, she knew he was he was uh, in a POW camp in uh, some place in that area, and they, could, they wouldn't get him out. And uh, uh, Bo, uh, I think the movie Rambo was made based on Bo, Bo Greitz going in there to get him. And you might remember in the movie, as I remember, I think I saw it some years ago. First Blood. Uh, yeah, Rambo got uh, Rambo got three of them out. It was they were crossing the river, and suddenly they were under attack from the other side, shooting at them and trying to sink their boat and killing them. And they went back back to where they were and left the three men there. So then Rambo came back and decided that wasn't very appropriate. But let me tell you one more story. This young man went on. Now this this story I have to admit is a story, and that's all that it is. In fact, I don't think I'm going to tell it. I think I'm going to leave it at that. I want you to know that America is in the heroin business and has been since the beginning of, of the Vietnamese War. Our government with an Air America airline, it's not American li- Air, Air uh, Airlines. CIA. It's Air, yes. By the way, uh, a friend of mine had an airplane down uh, by the airport uh, a private airplane, and there's a separate uh, runway and a separate tower. And so he told me, drive by there, come by. And there's two Air America airplanes, jets, sitting behind a, a cyclone fence, and you can take pictures of them. So I did, and I put them in my DVD to show you it's real. Air America was a real airline. And they were either converting it from uh, airline use to being used to carry carry a, a, you know, drugs, or maybe the other way around, taking one that was used for that, now converting it maybe through an airline or something. But they were clearly marked Air America. So we now have a drug culture because they want it. Now, by the way, let's go back. We sent cash, cash, cash dollars to Kunsaw, and he sold us the heroin. He took the money and transferred it to Red China. Red China used that American dollars to buy American uh, machinery and equipment and war-making technology and also a good percentage of our national debt. The money came from the sale of heroin. Our CIA bought it through the Air America Airlines and then that money went to Red China, and they used it to buy uh, the bonds in America and or American war-making technology. And I documented that with news articles in my DVD. It's like four hours long. Vietnam, America's betrayal and treason. It's not very pleasant, but unfortunately, it's true. I'm glad you're opening this door because eventually I wanted to come back to China and how they're playing a part in all of this now. But what you're saying about the debt, what is it? Uh, you know, it's, it's over a 
I believe, I forgot exactly the, the amount, but it's just incredible. We have given China, what, what is yeah. it? What is the total? I think it's 30 or 40 or even more. In fact, I believe with all of this stuff for the virus, we've now gone past the gross domestic product. And there was every dollar that, that we could sell could pay, would not be enough to pay off our debt. According to an estimate, as of May 2020, it stands, check this out, folks, 5.5, what is it, 5.48, almost 5.5 trillion dollars. And I always call it the rope which we will hang. I th well, I, I don't know what, what forgive me, I, I think it's in the 30s, the 40s, but I don't know. And maybe the one website gave you a figure, and maybe that's accurate. I don't know. But I can say this. It's enormous. So little Rafi Epperson put out a DVD called Abolish the Federal Reserve. It's the best review in an hour and a half that you can see about why we, I say, abolishing the Federal Reserve is not an option. It's mandatory. Since you're saying that, I'm so glad because, you know, we've had, we had Eustace Mullins, we had J. Edward Griffin, and, and, and you, with your work about abolishing the Federal Reserve recently, a lot of people, and I, I really had not been able to confirm this, that they're saying that President Trump transferred the Federal Reserve into the Treasury. Have you yes, looked into this? True. Is that's it true? true. Is it true? true? Yes. So in other words, according, according to this, Donald Trump now is chairman of the Federal Reserve. That is a major victory. My second DVD is called Creating Wars for Profit. Thomas Jefferson around the 1800s warned us. I'm going to do it from memory. He said, it, is, it behooves every nation and every nation to pay its debts as it goes. Because if it doesn't, if you can abolish debt, you, uh, the central banks, you will eliminate one half of the wars of the world. Did you understand what he just said? The Federal Reserve is a central bank. It doesn't loan money to the people. It loans it to governments. And the international bankers have central banks in all of the major nations of the world. I'm told once in a while, I see it on the internet, there's only like four or five nations left that don't have a central bank. Bill Clinton in 1992 told us that the, that the, the, the bankers control the economies of the world through the central banks. Right. And the way they do it is the king goes to King B, King A, the, the federal the banker goes to King A and says, listen, I was over in King, King B's uh, uh, domain last week, and he's building an army to attack you. Oh, no, you're kidding. Wait a minute. I didn't do anything. No, I'm serious. You better do something about it. So what, what, what can I do? You can borrow money from me, and we'll build an army for you. And then he goes back to King B and says, listen, I hate to tell you, but King A's building an army against you. And notice he's funding both sides. That's what he meant. The bankers make money on both sides. Of course. And this has been happening uh, since when? I mean, the, the, the Napoleonic Wars and, and the rest of them, they were financed by central banks both sides. This is nothing new. The, notice this. Europe had individual central banks, and Europe, they were all owned outside of the nation, and those nations were constantly at war. Europe was plagued with war. A attacks B, and then B, uh, the war ends, and so C attacks D. 
and then B and C attack A and Europe. And if the Civil War had been won by the South, that would have happened with the South. Each independent state was going to create their own central bank so Georgia could attack South Carolina and then South Carolina would attack in North Carolina and then Florida and Georgia would attack Alabama. This was going to be perpetual. That was one of the reasons that Lincoln refused to let them be independent, separate nations. Each nation, each state was going to become a separate nation and they could have their own central bank and then we'd have perpetual war in the South. That advice of Jefferson is brilliant, but unfortunately we don't listen. So we have a privately owned Federal Reserve. And by the way, we don't know who owns it. We've tried to get it audited years and years and years, and we never have been able to get it. We don't know. At least the average average American, the bankers know who owns it, but we don't know. And I'm sure even our own government doesn't know. I heard that the only thing that came out from that alleged audit was office supplies and some yeah, art. Right, yeah, right. A budget or something. Yeah. Right, right. Now, Rand Paul, we had Ron Paul first, then Rand Paul's right. doing the same thing. The House is, has uh, approved the legislation, but the Senate, I'm sorry, the Senate accepts it, but the House doesn't. That's but let me Democrat. ask you this well, why hasn't this made it? to mainstream media, the fact that allegedly this this was merged. And, and why do we even need to merge it? Why not just abolish it and have the Treasury print our own currency without having to ask for money and borrow at interest? Let me tell you this. I'll tell you best, the best story I have for you. Little Ralphie Epperson took my DVD called Abolish the Federal Reserve to the, uh, what's it called, uh, 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 it's the business college now, Keller or whatever it is. That's, oh, the Keller you. School of, of, of Business here in, in, in the U of A, you mean? You, yeah, right. Okay, sure. What's it called, Kel? It's the Keller, Kel the Keller Business School. Yes, right, okay. So I went to the assistant, the number two man, and I took one in there and sat down. I said, uh, would you tell me what causes inflation? And he said, well, he gave me a bunch of answers. I said, you know, it's strange because I got a book here and I had it with me that I got when I was in business college at the U of A before it became this Keller or wherever it's called. It was the Keller, the Keller School of Management. Keller School yeah. of Management. That's what it is. Okay. What, what's the word you're saying? Keller School Ke of Management. Keller. Okay. Keller. Settle for that. And so I got a booklet called the, uh, the Federal Reserve and it's published by them. And it said on the first page, the purpose of the Federal Reserve is to foster a flow of money to give us balance and, and good, uh, good economy. A flow of money. The Federal Reserve controls the money supply. And the dictionary is defined. You'll get again Webster's. Inflation is an increase in the price level caused by an increase in the money supply. But you're not, you're not taught that. In college, I took a class when I was thinking about getting my master's way back in the probably seventies, and it was the first class was business. It was a junior level business class, and I sat there, and the lady explained to us what causes inflation with the chalkboard and lines and ups and downs. And I said, "Ma'am, I have a dictionary in front of me. It says inflation caused by an increase in the money supply." 
and the result is a price rise. Well, see, that's, that's, what, that's what they think. I said, lady, what you told us with your definitions, plural, is that we, the people, cause the uh, inflation. And, and ultimately, it's the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank. And that was the last time she let me say anything in the class. <laughs> By the way, minor correction is the you Eller, N- Eller, not Keller, Eller College Eller, of Management. Eller, thank you. I remember yeah. in my, it was probably my freshman or sophomore year in college, and I remember taking economics. And I started asking the question because I remember having seen the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. And I started asking my professor questions, and he, he almost flunked me. Because of those questions, because he could not answer the questions when I was asking, is this a federal entity? And yes, it's a federal entity. And I would say, what part of the government does it belong to? And you could see his face like, oh, this guy's embarrassing me here. It's not federal and it doesn't have any reserves. But my question once again, why do we even have it right now? Why can't the people just rise up and say, we know what they're up to? We know that every single depression is orchestrated by the central banks around the world, especially here in the United States. So why don't we just abolish it? Is it because they fund everything and including the politicians? Yes, exactly. Now, let's go back. I want to finish with my little story. I often said, listen, why don't you do this? Why don't you let me come to your class or classes? And tell the truth about that with my DVD. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you, I'll watch it, I'll get back to you. Of course, that's the answer I never heard from him. In other words, they don't believe in academic freedom in both sides of the argument. So in other words, there's one thing taught, and that's what the government, the bankers want them to teach. That this, this, that Keller, Robert Keller, Business school is, is as liberal as a, I won't, I'll just end with that, it's liberal. And they won't let the other side be spoken. And the students, I went on campus once with the signs. Uh, I don't know if you know that, maybe you've done it. But you can go on campus anytime you want. There's a certain area in front of the administration building in the grassy area between the, the north and the south side of the city. You can actually set a table up and try to get students to pay attention. And the sign said, abolish the Federal Reserve. And I handed out flyers. No one even came over to say, what's the, what's the, you know, and I couldn't get even the students to take a flyer. They don't want, no, 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 I don't worry about this. I don't know what it is. Therefore, I'm not being taught about it. Therefore, it doesn't, it's not a problem. That's right. Abolish it. It's a conspiracy, they probably think. it. But, but, but Ralph, that, that would be the equivalent of you and I going to the, whatever college of medicine in any university and giving information that there's the cure for cancer, they would just laugh at you. But by the way, that's exactly what happened. Did you know that Laetrile kills cancer cells? I do. Then why, why did, why did the hospital Tucson, not, no, the U of A live, uh, medical school test it, but the people who know study it, said they used an inferior grade of laetrile and not enough of it. In other words, Tijuana is a place where you can go and get your cancer healed in Mexico, but you can't do it in America. Why? The Gerson, the Gerson Institute. So in other words, can't laetrile, I eat laetrile every morning in in my breakfast cereal. It's called millet, M-I-L-L-E-T. I think there. I don't think there's two T's. There's just one. 
and it's puffed. It's the size of a baby. And I pour it into my cereal. I, I have cereal, uh, you know, grain cereals every morning. And I eat, pour it and eat it for, and I don't get cancer. You know, uh, let me tell you, Ralph, I spoke with you over 11 years ago, I believe it was. You sound and you look the same. So whatever you're eating, whatever you're consuming, I don't know what kind of health regimen you're using, but keep at it because your, your brain's still intact. Thank you. If I may, Mel, thank you very much. You're very kind. I had a physical uh, four years ago. Uh, I'm now, I don't count years anymore. I count decades. And I say I'm 8.2. <laughs> you can figure that out on your own. I'm 8.2 years old, but that's decades. So anyway, my doctor did a bunch of tests on me and used a computer, and he said, you are, you are the healthiest 50-year-old man I've ever seen. Oh, that's great. I don't, I don't use any medication. I, I, I just had a little uh, uh, infection, and I took the medication. It's gone now, so I conquered it. It was over in a couple of weeks. I don't take any medication. Uh, I, I do have uh, acid reflux, so I take I take. Uh, 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 What's it called? Uh, uh, some sort of little uh, white shocky thing, and uh, and that takes care of it. Other than that, I take no medication. Be careful with that. We can talk offline about the alter the natural alternative for for that because that that one is not good. Listen, let's talk, Bill. Please, let's call me back later. Let's talk. <laughs> yes. Now, let me bring this back. Let me bring this back for a moment because you know I see China behind a lot of what's happening here. And I think, as you well said, Chiang Kai-shek, we actually were the ones who were the architects. I mean, I remember when Kissinger went there and Nixon, all of a sudden China became this rising power. The sleeping giant is waking up again. But a lot of people don't know that China was a prosperous nation before communism took over. And who were the ones? Who were the stars, if you want to give him that attribute, who, who actually infused China with this cancer? And a lot of people don't know they were the same characters. The Bolsheviks that took over in 1917 in Russia weren't the same. They the same characters that took over China, or help. Well, well, you know, I I never found any Bolshevik influence influence in that Chinese thing. I found the uh, CFR involved and a group called the Institute for Pacific Relations funded by the Rockefeller Foundation, they tried to convince us that China was a, a, a good, good benefit. But Chiang Kai-shek was betrayed. It's all covered adequately, documented in my book, The Unseen Hand. So when I say that China is now controlled, I believe it's a branch office. China will never, never, never get nuclear weapons. Neither will North Korea. Neither will uh, a red China, or maybe I would say red China. None of these nations, Russia included, Russia has no nuclear weapons and has never had any nuclear weapons. There were no nuclear weapons in Cuba. Zip, I proved that with photographs and the book written by Bobby Kennedy. Before he wrote a book called 13 Days that talked about the pictures the CIA brought to show them the missiles being erected in there. And Bobby Kennedy said, I watched their pictures. They were, by the way, now we'll go back to 19 people. Remember that number, 19. He said, I saw no missiles. Uh, and the pictures were shown by the CIA. 
to the 19 people assembled there. And he said later on, I found out that John, my brother, saw none. And in fact, every, nearly everyone there saw no missiles. There were no missiles to remove. There was a, a, an agreement. Uh, 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 President Kennedy told Khrushchev, or probably they told Khrushchev for John Kennedy, I'll cover that in a minute, the, that we were going to board their ships, removing the missiles, entering, uh, uh, going on board of a foreign ship in the ocean is an act of war. And so we told Khrushchev that, and the media picked up on it, and John Kennedy suddenly had to be expendable because he was a loose cannon. And that's the reason they took him out. Wait, wait, Let, let's go here instead, Ralph. You are just hitting some, you're going <laughs> every cylinder. And I'm so glad you're talking about this because for a few years now, I've been told that nuclear weapons actually do not exist. And what we've seen in these images from the military was just firebombs. And then when we're told that nuclear weapons, there's a, what, what did they biodegrade in millions of years? But then you have Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They're flourishing cities right now. What, let, let's go in steps. What did we drop in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Were they just firebombs? I, I, you know, I, I, can't, I can't argue that point with you because I've, I've seen the pictures of the bombs that they built. And they were allegedly carried on B twenty B twenty B twenty nines or B maybe it was B twenty five. I think it was B twenty nines. So that that's and we were convinced that they were legitimate. The atomic energy ability thing. But but I will say this. Um, oh boy, are you ready for another bombshell? Go ahead. You might remember in about nineteen fifty two or so, uh, the uh, government uh, charged. The Rosenbergs were selling or giving nuclear secrets to the Russian government, and they they tried them, and they were both executed. Now, they um, there's no I don't know what they sent them, but but it was supposed to be papers, I think. But anyway, there's a book out. Listen to this, written by the son of Franklin Roosevelt. I think his name is Elliot, maybe James, either one of those two, who was ordered by his father, the president, he, the, the, I'm going to call him Elliot. It might have been James, but either one. He was ordered to come to Washington, D.C., and ordered by his father because he knew that he could trust him and that he would do it as he was told, to turn over one half of our uranium supply and all of the equipment they needed to explode an atomic bomb. Did you hear what I just said? Yes. A, a, a major, a, a major in the uh, army. I guess it was in the army. Yeah. Named George Racy Jordan was in charge of expediting the stuff that could be flown to Russia in the land lease, which was our way to build Russia into a military power to conquer Germany from the east. So he was very inquisitive and opened up boxes and kept copies of the invoices. And he started finding words like cyclotron and uranium and hot water and cadmium and words like this. He didn't know what they were, but he kept the papers. 
So when they finally ex- allegedly exploded an atomic bomb in 1949, he said, my God, it was the Manhattan Project because the papers had writings on it called from the Manhattan Project. So he was transferring Manhattan Project uh, 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 papers, drawings, I presume, to to Russia. But Russia, when they allegedly they exploded the atomic bomb, Harry Truman said they didn't explode it. He said he could find no evidence they exploded one. But notice this. If the Rosenbergs were tried for sending secrets to the Russians, how come Franklin Roosevelt and his son Elliot were not tried for treason for giving the same secrets to Russia? The book is called A Family Matter. Buy it and read it yourself. It's the son telling that he was ordered by his father to do this. The Rosenbergs went to the electric chair, but the Roosevelts didn't go to the electric chair. Why? I'm telling you, this, once you, I made that DVD called Only the U.S. Has Nukes. The first one was called uh, Russia Has Wooden Missiles, but now it's out for four hours long. It tells the whole story about the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Russians not having it. I'll give you one more interesting bombshell if you want to hear it. You might remember the INF Treaty, Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, signed by Reagan and Gorbachev in 1989 or 8 or something, before he left office. I've got pictures of him signing the documents. It's in my DVD. Here's Reagan signing it. Now, I, I, I was curious. I said, I want to read the INF Treaty. So I bought a copy from the printing office, government printing office, and read it. Listen to this. Back in the back, and I could get it read it to you if you wanted it. I'm going to do it from memory, but if you want, I'll get it. It's one line long. Those missiles to be destroyed under the terms of the treaty shall be subject to external visual observation only. We can't touch it. We can't cut it open. We can't drop a magnet on it. We can't uh, drop acid on it. We can't look inside. What? We're going to destroy Phony missiles, yes, because I found documented evidence that Russia's admitted that 20% of their missiles were fake. So we don't even know if the missiles were real because we couldn't find out according to the terms of the INF Treaty. So the whole notion, the whole notion, Ralph, of MAD, mutual, mutually, uh, what is it, assured destruction, China, Russia, and us, that is just... BS then in order to perpetuate this fear that anybody could nuke us at any time? Yes, let me finish. Now, the the second part, it talks about the warheads. They've got to, by the way, the cover of the treaty says eliminate. We're going to eliminate, remove from the surface of the earth. And then you read it. Oh, if you want, I'll do it. I'll get it copy and read. I'll show it to you. It says that those warheads about to be destroyed under the terms of the of the missile do not have to be inspected. They're going to re, they're going to eliminate a warhead by taking it off of missile A and putting it on missile B, and that's going to eliminate. This is what the treaty says. There were no warheads to eliminate. 
that's the lesson. Forgive me, I'm sorry. I get involved in this. That's okay. This is preposterous, but it's real. I show you the treaty in my DVD. There are the words. So what does that do, Ralph? What does that do for public Uh, perception? Exactly. Now, I I taught at a summer school, uh, not a summer school, a summer camp years ago, uh, about 125 high school seniors and uh, young young men who are all uh, sophomores and juniors and maybe some seniors because they're going on to college. And so I, I taught a class. And the class was Americanism versus communism. And I said, listen, let's have a, I'm going to change the subject. I said, I want to talk about, uh, let's, I said, let's pretend that we're American uh, 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 generals and we're going to plan an attack of Russia. Okay, I've got a, a chalkboard here. Let's list the targets we want to aim at. Oh, number one, we got to destroy their missiles and warheads. So number two is their airfields. We got to eliminate their Navy. Got to eliminate their soldiers. We got to eliminate the government. And I listed about 10 of them. And I said, not one of those is a legitimate target. Why? Because if we launch, they launch. You pointed out, it's called mutual assured destruction. Who wins in a nuclear war? No one. We've got missiles, allegedly, and they've got missiles, allegedly. Let's say they have them. They're going to nuke us, and we're going to nuke them. Do you think the Russian communists want to get nuked? I don't think so. But hold it so right there. A, a quick parenthesis there. This is something that always bothered me. 57,000 lives lost in Vietnam. If we had just won World War II, you know, a few decades before that, why do we have to expend so many of our assets and lose so many lives when we could actually send a nuke into Vietnam and have him surrender. That never happened. Well, let me, I'll, I'll give you a better explanation than that and when I finish. Let me go back. Here's what I concluded in one sentence. There's only one target for the threat of, the nu- of a nuclear war, and that is the mind of the people. Think mm. about it. We've been living under a threat of a nuclear war, and it doesn't exist. Fear. It hasn't ever existed and will never exist. Iraq, Iran will never get warheads. Never. Never. They talk about it. They're, they're building them now. They're building them. They've got places. The UN goes there to see it. And we can't find it. Never. They don't have them. But let me ask because you this, too. They don't. If we Russia have. Russia knows if they launch their missiles and warheads, we launch ours, and Russia is going to be nuked. Right. They don't want to get nuked, and neither does president, whoever. But let me ask you this. If the United States does have nuclear weapons, there's another country, and I'm not going to name the name, but I'm going to spell out the facility. D, I believe it's D-I-M-O-N-A. Did you get that? D-I-M-O-N-A. Do you think that country has them? If we have them, I think they have them too. No, I'm telling you, please, Mel, think about it. This conspiracy Richard Nixon, as president of the United States, visited communist China while Chow Enlai and Mao Pison were alive. And after they killed 80, 80 million Chinese in the Russian, the Chinese Communist Revolution, they're sitting there toasting each other with probably sake or something. David Rockefeller has access to going to Moscow. Wait a minute. 
David Rockefeller is one of the biggest, wealthiest capitalists in the world. He should land his airplane and be arrested and thrown into gulags. He's not. Armand Hammer was a the, 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 the son of a doctor who helped uh, uh, Lenin take over Russia. His jet airplane has access to land in Moscow. We take an American airline or even a U.S. Air Force base airplane into Moscow, we get it shot down. Armand Hammer has apparently a code. I'm coming in, I'm going to be landing at 8 o'clock, landing for permission to land in Moscow at 8 o'clock, and they let him land. He's the one, one of the wealthiest men in the world. Why? They're partners. That's what you, we've got to understand. Russia and China are partners run by a conspiracy that we can talk about for hours. But I'll just say I can prove this conspiracy is real. But maybe you missed what I said. You're saying, I believe, based on what I've seen so far, that perhaps nuclear weapons don't even exist. Because all those explosions that we saw in the middle of the desert in New Mexico and so on, I think those were firebombs. I mean, look, again, I'm going to go to uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Flourishing. There, there's no radiation there. So where is the nuclear power that was there? But when it comes to another country, I'm going to repeat that name for you because I don't want to say the name here because I always get censored. D-I-M-O-N-A. And this is allegedly one of the reasons why Kennedy was killed. So you're thinking that they don't have him? John Kennedy was killed because he didn't want to go to Vietnam. Who killed Kennedy? Four days before his assassination, John Kennedy issued National Security Action Memorandum, NSMAM or something, so-and-so number. And I got copies of them and I put them in my video. Removing the first 1,000 of our advisors out of Vietnam. That was four days before he went to Dallas, four days after he was assassinated, Johnson rescinded the orders. Johnson and Kennedy was promising to pull out totally all of our soldiers, advisors in Vietnam after the election of 1964, because he didn't want to appear to be soft on communism. So they sent John Kennedy to Dallas. He never came home. So Lyndon Johnson said, I'll play your game. And then McNamara planned this little Gulf of Tonkin incident. Let me tell you a better way to win that war if we had done it. Listen to this. The, the, uh, uh, back in the, during the end of the World War II, uh, and I'm not an expert on this, I'm just doing it generally, there were a bunch of conferences like Tehran and Yalta and Potsdam, and I think there's one more, Cairo, I think it was, where we decided which nations were going to be which nations. And they divided North Korea into a North and a South, and they divided uh, uh, China into three nations, and then chopped up Vietnam into half, North and a South. And we let the communists take over the North, and we let the capitalists or wherever the Buddhists take over the South in both nations. And guess what happened within a few years? We had a war in Korea between the North Koreans and the South Koreans. And then we got involved and we're going to win the war. And the rest, the, the Red Chinese sent the troops across the Yalu Bridges, the river. And MacArthur wanted to bomb it. And Truman said no. And he called him to Hawaii and fired him. He fired MacArthur. Wait a minute, he'll fire it. Yes, you do. 
So, so that war we ended in a stalemate. It's still not over. And then we, oh boy, here we go. I'll just say this. I'll make it easy for you. The only port in North Vietnam that's capable of handling ocean-going deep water uh, ships to bring goods in to unload to fight the war is at the port of Haiphong. Haiphong is about six miles inland from the Gulf of Tonkin. And there's a, there's a canal. It's called, they have a name for it. It's Gu, Gu, Gu Gong or something, something like that. It's about six miles long, and in that uh, canal is a tw- uh, 24-7, three, 365 dredge, huge dredge, that's mucking out the mud deposited daily by the Red River, which feeds the lake, is the, the Haiphong, and then this canal. So... If you want to win a war, in 80% of the North Vietnamese goods went through the port of Haiphong. If you want to win the war, since you're in the war now, let's say it was legitimate, we're going to, you know, remove the communists, you sink the dredge. One sinking dredge, sink it. And the, the port silts up. And that's exactly what happened in World War II. And Japan couldn't use the port to unload goods in Haiphong or anyone else because the ship went down and they couldn't get it out. So now they built another one and that one is there. So now here's my story. I'm trying to get this made into a movie. Listen to this, Mel. I'll make it as brief as I can. A troop Christian patriot, now he's gone, named Nord Davis, an IBM middle-level executive for IBM, quit his job and started a newsletter down in North Carolina. And so he learned about the dredge in the port of iPhone and said, my God, if we could sink that dredge personally, we'll end the war in six months. We privately could sink the dredge. So he raised $100,000 in pledges from his newsletter and then sent out flyers all over uh, uh, Vietnam with friends going there, friends and the pilots or the government friends he knew from the Pentagon or IBM or whatever. Every time he said, take a hundred flyers and distribute them. And Nord started getting phone calls from pilots all over North, uh, South Vietnam, American pilots. What's this all about, Nord? Seek the dredge and go home. Why, why, why? It's only $100,000. Listen to this. It's not enough money. Yeah, but I'm telling you, if you uh, don't sink the dredge and keep fighting, you might be next. Well, if I, if I sink it, I'll get court-martialed and I'll lose. Yeah, but you'll be home with your wife and kids and your other soldiers will be there as well. So the pilots decided not to do it. So then Nord Davis said, well, I'll sink it myself. And now he had a problem. He had no way to do so. So a guy shows up, a colonel, and says, listen, I read your flyer. If I swim out to the water, I'm, I'm a Green Beret. I speak uh, in uh, 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 North Vietnamese. So I said, I could get in there, swim out to the, uh, to the barge, plant explosives underneath it, and then swim back and then push the button, and down it goes. So he said, I better find out how big it is. So they sent the, the man 
to this port of Haiphong. He got into the North Vietnam and went there and took pictures of it. I got pictures of it. And it's huge. He got back and said, that thing is huge. One man can't sink it alone. And if I take a squad, that increases the chance of being detected and we would never get there. So he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll go there and find out how big it is, how serious the problem is. So he went to the people that made it in Hong Kong and they brought the, the plans out and showed him, he said he was a developer in Florida. So they laid out the plans. It had five watertight compartments all the time, which means you got to sink all five or you don't sink the dredge. So he said, we can't do it. So then he said, I know where there are two B-26s, which were still, I believe it's, forgive me, either 25 or 26. More modern uses were being flown in Vietnam by our Air Force, but older units were given to, I think it was Burma, for drug detection. They didn't know what to do with them. And this colonel knew about them. He said, I'll tell you what, I'll go there and we'll get them to bid them. We'll buy the airplanes and then we'll use those to fly the bombs ourselves. We'll do it. So they tried to get, they got the third man involved, who was a a retired three-star general Marine. And he said, he was a good friend of the colonels, and they said, let's do it ourselves. We'll get 500-pound bombs. You only need one bomb, one run. The first airplane goes first, drops the bomb. If it misses or doesn't sink it, the second one comes 45 minutes later, and the dredge goes down. So they now they needed bombs. They needed a one 500-pound bomb, and the colonel, the general tried to get it from friends of his in the Air Force in Vietnam. And they said, that's madness. I can't transport explosives to some runway in Burma. So he said, and, and, and unload it. So he said, we can't do it. So then I'll end with this. They went, they came up with the plan. I think it was the, the general said, let's bluff them. So they got, the, he wrote a letter to Admiral McCain, the father of John, who was at that time the head Admiral for the Vietnamese the war, the whole Navy for the Vietnamese right. war in Hawaii. So he sent the letter with the colonel and took it in there. I presume he wore his uniform, even though he's retired, and said, I want to talk to Admiral McCain. And he said, what's this about? He said, well, I'll tell you. So he told him the best. And so the, the, the orderly went in there and said, There's, they want to talk to you about what? They want to talk to you about sinking the dredge. And they said, what? What are you talking about? So he said, get some details. And he came back and said, I'll get back to you. So according to Nord, he had friends in the Pentagon who said, the Admiral called Kissinger. Kissinger called Nixon and said, there's something going on. They're going to sink the dredge. When? They gave us a deadline of the 7th of April, 1972. I'm going to make that date up. Plus or minus. It's only like 10 days away. According to... My friend Nord, he found out from from friends, Kissinger got the uh, the colonels, uh, what do they call their P2 file or P1 file, and read this was a man of action. If he said he was going to do it, he would he does it. So they, on the day that Nixon that they told Nixon, if they didn't do it, they'd do it. Nixon ended the war by dropping mines into the port. Of high funk on the very day they gave them. In other words, that war was not supposed to end, but Nixon said, 
to end the killing, I'm going to drop the mines into the port of Haiphong. And he gave them four or five days to get all the ships out, and they dropped the mines. Nord Davis and the two retired military officers had the courage to take on the government, and they forced that war to be ended. There's one last part of the story. Back when the Pentagon Papers were released, surreptitiously or illegally, there was a comment made in that when the war started, to do something with the port of Haiphong. Because they knew that's the only port they could get them. And they said, no, we're not going to do that because if we got, if we tried to sink some ships or blow up some ships or something, the Russia would get mad because they were supplying these materials and then we'd have a nuclear war. So they decided not to. But notice when Nixon ended with seven days notice, he didn't seem to be too concerned about Russia starting a nuclear war, did he? I'm trying to get that made into a movie. I've talked to everyone I know, and I'm not in the movie business. Every time I hear someone with a name, I write to him and his agent and say, please, make this into a movie. Tell the American people the truth about that war. Oh, no, 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 that's too controversial. Oh, boy, I'll get... Uh, so Let me ask you this, because we, uh, we have to take a break to break both segments. I want to know, don't give me an answer now. We'll, we'll wait until the second part. Have you researched who killed Kennedy? Oh, boy. Okay, don't tell me who, who it is. Let's do it when we come back. I also want to bring back the New World Order, by the way, in Spanish, El Nuevo Orden Mundial, which are the books that we're seeing everywhere these days. The, what is it? The, it's not the hidden hand. What is it? What's the other? It's called the unseen. The unseen hand. The unseen hand. I want to bring all that material back now to what's happening. All the way coronavirus and the current event, I think that there's an end game in place here. Ralph, they are trying to pull all pieces together. They're just, this is their, their, their Hail Mary pass. And I want to know what you think is coming next in the next few months. Ralph, how can people buy your books, learn more about your work, your websites? Well, there's certain ways to do it. I'm on Facebook, just Ralph Epperson. Go and find me, make me a friend, and we'll talk. I also, in my website, and I also on the air, whenever I do a talk show, I give, I give my home phone number. I live in Tucson, Arizona. I'm single. I don't have any family or children. I live here by myself. I give my phone number. I take phone calls all day long. Not all day long, but probably three or four a day. No, not that many. Probably three or four a week. People call. I want to talk to you, Ralph. So that's good. I'd invite that. Ralph-Epperson.com. You told us what that was at the beginning. That's my website. Go there and don't buy a thing, but go and browse. And you're going to see four booklets, books, 26 DVDs, 26, no, one, one of them is 27 hours long, <laughs> the others are all no more than four, well there is one eight hours long, but they're all one to two hours, maybe three or four sometimes, and just browse to see how enormous this problem is. Well, excellent. Did you say? Did you say you wanted to give your phone number out? Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Write it down. I'm in the I'm in the white yeah white pages, I guess, but I'm listed on my website. Five two zero eight eight six four three eight zero. Now, please. <laughs> 
we're three hours difference to the East Coast, so don't call it, uh, uh, well, of course, it should be midnight your time, because don't call it three o'clock in the morning. You'd have to call it six o'clock in the morning. It'd be three o'clock in my time. So let me sleep. Give me that. We have people from all over the world, all over the world listening. So if you want to call Ralph, just uh, put Tucson time so that you can respect those boundaries. Yes. Well, folks, don't go anywhere. I'm here with Ralph Epperson after 11 years. When I come back, I want to discuss all those books and what how it's being applied today, which he almost predicted this decades ago. And the plan has been around for over 50 years. This is Mel Fabregas. My special guest today is Ralph Epperson. Don't go anywhere. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas, because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Yeah, I'm